Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, Turn the Page. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, Yellow Box. How are you feeling this morning? It is great to see you. A special welcome to you if you're watching digitally. Uh, I do have a confession to make, though. Today, we're talking about turning the page from fear to faith. And in less than an hour, my lovably terrible Lions will be playing the Chicago Bears. Um, So this message hits particularly close to home. Mostly fear, not so much faith on my part. Uh, But as Sherry mentioned, though, we're in the middle of an 11-week series, looking at the entirety of the Bible over the course of that 11 weeks, and what a journey it has been. And before we dive in, I want to invite you to the Turn the Page Bible Experience. If you have not yet joined, I can't encourage you enough. Every single day, there are readings that get sent out. You can listen to them in audio version. There are a couple of special podcasts. There's a Facebook discussion group where people have been kind of taking a deeper dive each and every day of the series, and it is a really, really remarkable tool and resource to kind of get a better understanding of what it is that we're talking about here. I hope that you'll take advantage of that. So uh, we're in week four. The first three weeks, we were in the book of Genesis, and that story, that chapter, that book ended with the Israelites, the people of God, uh, in Egypt, fleeing famine. So now as we turn the page to Exodus, it's hundreds of years later, and the people of Israel began to grow. The community is getting larger and larger, and this Egyptian pharaoh uh, is not a fan of that. He's fearful that they may become too powerful, uh, so decides to enslave the people of God. But that apparently doesn't completely satisfy him either. And so in another drastic move, uh, Pharaoh commands that all Israelite boys be slaughtered. All of them. But apparently one defiant mama doesn't pay attention to Pharaoh, puts her baby boy in a basket in the river, and in this incredible plot twist, Pharaoh's own daughter finds this baby in this basket and raises this child as her own. This child will grow up to be a man, a great hero of biblical literature, a man named Moses. Now, many of you, if you grew up in church or not, you've probably heard the name Moses. He's the one that parted the Red Sea, and he starred in that movie, The Ten Commandments, right? Um, here he is here. Maybe he's familiar to some of you. Yeah. He's pointing at somebody down there. Um, I don't know what you did. But fun fact about Moses, by the way, he was the first person to own a tablet and download data from the cloud. So (laughs) applause, really? We could just close in prayer right now. I don't know that it gets, (laughs) I don't know that it gets any better than that. So that's, uh, that's Moses. But before Moses became this hero, um, he was just a regular person. In fact, may, maybe not even that. He, he was someone who was a bit of an outcast, who was crippled with fear and anxiety and doubted that his life would ever amount to anything. And you might be thinking, how could someone like Moses ever feel that way? Well, here's, here's one reason. Uh, Moses, when he was living in Egypt, one day he saw an Egyptian um, beating an Israelite. And Moses doesn't like just file a complaint to HR. He murders the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Someone finds out, and so he flees. He runs and then lives in obscurity for 40 years in the wilderness. So four decades, he is an absolute 
obscurity. And when we turn the page to chapter three of Exodus, that's where we pick up the story. So, so Moses is tending the sheep. That's what he's doing. That's what he's been doing for quite some time now. He's just kind of minding his own business at Mount Horeb, which means uh, the mountain of God. And then something really fascinating happens. There's a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And so Moses, maybe being the youngest child, decides to investigate. I don't know how many of you would be inclined to investigate a bush that's on fire, but not burning. I'd be heading the opposite direction. So Moses goes to investigate, and here in verse 4, we see what happens. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now again, if that were me, I'd be saying, here I go. I ain't talking to no bush today. I'm going to tend to my sheep and be done with it. But that's, that's not what happens. And it, it made me think, actually, this is a pretty unexpected way for God to speak to Moses. And I, I kind of started thinking about my own life. Like, if God wanted to speak to me in an unexpected way, would I be willing to listen? I think there are, there are places and situations where we expect God to move. But it, is it possible that for every single one of us, God wants to speak to us not just in mountaintops, but also in valleys, right? Not just in spiritual highs, but even also when we're just living in our day today. If God wanted to speak to us in unexpected ways, would we be willing to listen. So Moses investigates. God speaks to him through this bush. And he's speaking to him through this bush that's on fire. Now fire is significant. In fact, later in Exodus, in a number of different places throughout the Bible, God's presence is identified by fire. So this idea of fire is actually really important. It's really significant. And so God's speaking to Moses. And he says to him, I've heard the cries of my people. They're not falling on deaf ears. I, I, I know what's going on back in Egypt. I, I've heard their cries. And then in verse 10, he says this. So now, what's the word? Go. Now I need you to go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now again, put yourself emotionally in Moses' shoes. Like, this was maybe a Tuesday, right? He's just working, and a bush shows up and says, I've heard the cries. He's like, that's great. That's awesome. You should totally deliver them. And he says, yeah, I'm sending you to go, to go to Pharaoh, arguably the most powerful man on the planet to bring my people out of slavery. See, God is ready to move the story along and he invites Moses to step out, to take action. And Moses responds the way that every great hero does, right? This is what Moses says. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Can anyone relate to that response? That if God were to speak to us even that directly, how many of us wouldn't be inclined to be like, did you get the wrong address? Like, who, who, who am I, God? That, that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should do this thing that honestly seems impossible, unlikely at best. God, who am I? In this moment, we see that Moses is full of self-doubt. Maybe, maybe he's carrying the shame and guilt of his previous life. Maybe he's aware that I don't have any special talents or abilities. My resume is not that imp impressive. I've been tending to sheep for four decades. God, who am I? Has anyone ever felt that way in your own spiritual life? You felt maybe a prompting, a nudge from God, and your first thought is, I think you got the wrong guy. 
I think you've made a mistake. And so here's how God responds in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses says, who am I? God essentially says, what you need to know is that I will be with you. That's what matters. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to hold on to. All that matters, Moses, regardless of who you are, church, all that matters is that God will be with you, regardless of what you've done or not done, said or not said, whatever story brought you in this space today. All that matters is that God, the God of the universe, will be with you. But Moses' fear is not subdued. Look at how he responds in verse 13. Okay, you're saying I will be with you. Then who are you? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? It's a really honest exchange, isn't it? God says, don't worry about it. I will be with you. And Moses says, okay, so if I'm gonna stick my neck out for you, how do I know you got, you got my back? Like, what should I tell people? What, what is your name? And here's how God replies in verse 14. I am who I am. That's such a parental way to respond, isn't it? I am who I am, all right? Deal with it. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, God doesn't like struggle with bad grammar. That's not what's going on here. But this I am statement feels more like a verb than a noun, doesn't it? He's saying, it is a, I am all that there is. I am it. I'm not just someone who knows about life. I am the source of life. Not just someone who knows about meaning. I am the source of all meaning and identity and power and authority. I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And there's something about those two words that, that just so resonated with me, with me this week. Like when, when we feel like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not... Good enough. What does God say? I am. We say, God, I'm not, I'm not strong enough. What does God say? I am. We say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not talented enough. God says, I am. God, I, I'm not skilled enough. God says, I am. God, I, I don't know enough. God says, I, I, I am all that you will ever possibly need. In me, you lack nothing. When you feel weak and full of guilt and shame, God says, all of those things, not a single one of them disqualifies you from the presence of I am. That a fullness of who you are, how you came here this morning, God looks right at you and says, I am. I am. In essence, what God is saying, whatever you are not, I will be for and through you. Whatever you feel you lack, whatever you feel disqualifies you, I will be for and through you. And still, Moses is afraid. Still, look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? He's doubting his own charisma. He's doubting his own strength. He's doubting that God would actually move through him, that they'll buy the story that he gives them. Ultimately, they say, well, what about them? He starts by saying, what about me? Who am I? Who are you? What about them? Which is a legitimate fear, isn't it? How many of us have been stopped dead in our tracks when we felt God whisper something to us or plant a dream in our heart and we really got excited and then we began to think about, well, what about the them out there? 
What if my family doesn't understand? What if the people in my neighborhood don't get it? What if they call me a fool, call me an idiot, they doubt my skill or my ability? What, well, what about them? He's afraid of looking like a fool. And God goes on to list a number of things, a number of signs that he would demonstrate his power through him. But it's important to recognize, though, that this Bible hero was filled with fear and doubt. This character that we like hold up as the archetype of, the, of, of biblical literature is filled with shame and guilt and questions. He was deeply afraid and that fear doesn't just magically go away. Some of you maybe were handed that version of Christianity that if you, if you pray this prayer, you'll never be fearful again. I don't think that exists. We step out in confidence. We have a different understanding of who we are and who God is. But Moses is a perfect example that even when we step out, sometimes fear is still there. Fear and faith can exist in the same space. So they have this back and forth, back and forth. And in the end of this encounter, verse 13, here's what we read. Moses eventually just goes, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Just send someone else. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's exhausted all of his options. He's like, well, who am I? Who are you? What about them? Okay, real talk. I don't want to go. Send someone else. Let's get down to brass tacks here. Please, please, just find someone else. Can anyone relate to that? You're in a room maybe like this, and you feel like the Spirit of God speaks right to you, and you like maybe move a seat over. You're like, you're talking to that guy. I'm not interested. Moses, this Bible hero, says, would you please send someone else? But in the end, Moses had the one thing he needed. A willingness to trust God and step forward in faith. Not the absence of fear, not a blueprint of how everything was going to play out, but a willingness. A willingness to step forward even into the unknown when he had no idea how that would look. And God did incredible things through him. Despite Moses' fear, he took the next step and the next step and the next step. It made me think of... um, any Indiana Jones fans in the house? I think this is one of the greatest films ever made, and uh, particularly the first one. There's this scene, this pretty well-known scene, where um, Indiana Jones comes to this like massive chasm, and uh, he's supposed to take this, this step of faith to cross this chasm, and it's this really beautiful scene, and he's like filled with fear, and he's filled with trepidation. I thought, well, rather than tell you about it, let me just show you here. Take a look at this clip. Hurry! Come quickly! It's a leap of faith. Lord, you must believe, boy. You must believe. The horrified looks on your faces right now is why I do what I do. Um, <laughs> okay, so we may, have, we may have altered that clip just a little bit, but 
Here's my point. That even when the path is unclear, when the, when the next step isn't totally spelled out, I believe that God has called every single one of us to an adventure way beyond ourselves. That he wants to do things in and through us that maybe some of us haven't even had the courage or boldness to articulate out loud. I believe that God wants that for all of us. But so often, doesn't fear just get the best of us? Like if we're really honest, I think, I think fear can stop us dead in our tracks. And I think there's maybe a number of different reasons why that is. Maybe, maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe, maybe like Moses, we like really struggle with this idea that God has called us to something better. We, we live in the past of our guilt and our shame and we, we decide for ourselves that I just don't have what it takes. Maybe, maybe we feel incapable. Maybe that, that dream that God's whispering, that person, that relationship, that idea just seems, seems way bigger than you could even possibly realize. Maybe, honestly, we just feel uncomfortable. Like, that one feels a little different than the first two, but can we all admit how often we don't do things simply because it's a little uncomfortable? I, I know that I do. There, there have been countless times where I felt like God was nudging me to say something to someone, to speak up, to do something, and I just, I'd rather stay in my comfort zone. I'd rather stay where it's comfortable. And I don't know what that is for you. I, I posted a question on Facebook earlier this week, just asking people what they're afraid of. And like, Understandably, there are a lot of people saying clowns and spiders, which are objectively terrifying. Um, but then it got, it got really serious. It was people saying, I'm a fear that I'll be a failure, fear that I won't amount to anything, fear that I'll, I'll let my family down, that I won't find out who I really am. Fear keeps us so immobile. But I, I think fear kills more vision than failure ever could. So, so often we, we're afraid that we're going to look like an idiot or we won't succeed at it. I think fear kills more vision, more dreams, more impact than failure ever could. In fact, I think failure is a better teacher than success could ever be. But so often we let fear call the shots, right? And we just sort of stay where we're at. It makes me think of a story I read years ago. It's about an animal called the African impala. You find this in like southern and eastern Africa, and it's this like medium-sized antelope. But the, the really amazing thing about the impala is that um, it has a vertical of like 10 feet, like almost as much as me. It's impressive. Just a 10-foot vertical. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. Uh, <laughs> but with enough speed, it can cover the distance of like 30 feet. But if you, if you see an impala like at a zoo or some sort of safari, like they, they will keep it enclosed with a three-foot wall. Now that seems insane, right? An animal that has a 10-foot vertical can stay in captivity with just a three-foot wall. And the reason is fascinating because the impala refuses to jump where it can't see where its feet will land. Refuses. An animal with incredible power, incredible potential, if it cannot see exactly where its feet will land, it will stay in captivity its entire life. And I don't know what kind of three-foot walls are surrounding your life this morning, but I think God is saying the God who spoke the universe into existence resides within you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, the one that spoke to Moses to free his people from slavery, that God resides within all of us. And yet so often these three-foot walls keep us exactly where we're at because we can't see exactly where our feet will land. And I wonder if God isn't saying to all of us, I want you to trust me. A willingness to step forward in faith, even and especially when fear is still present. What would that look like for us to step out in faith? 
Moses could have remained a shepherd. He could have kept doing what he was doing. He could have walked away from the bush. And honestly, I think God would have found somebody else. But Moses would have missed out on the adventure of a lifetime. Okay, so most of us know that's not actually how that Indiana Jones scene went, right? You guys, here's what actually happened. He stepped forward and was revealed to him that there was a bridge there all along. And if you watch the scene, there's still fear on his face as he puts one foot in front of the next. I feel like our journeys are a lot like that at times, that all of that fear doesn't just magically disappear. But when he couldn't see it, the path was there all along. And when he gets to the other side, he grabs some dirt and he throws it on the bridge so it's more visible. I think that's what we do for each other. When we gather and celebrate, when we sing, when we learn, when we pray together, when we're in small group together, it's sort of like we're throwing dirt on each other's paths because there will be times that we can't see the next step and we need people, we need each other, we need the family of God to say, hey, I know that you can't see this right now, but you are so loved and God hasn't left you and he's promised to never leave you. That God, the God that is the I am, the only I am that you have to worry about is saying, I am a child of God. That's the only I am that matters when we say, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not gifted enough. The only I am that God cares about is that we understand I am a child of God. And we remind each other of that together. We throw dirt on the path when our friends, our family, our community can't see it. So I want to issue just a couple of challenges, two challenges today to take two different kinds of steps. Number one, to take a step in here. Take a step in here. When you look around on a Sunday or all the stuff that Sherry mentioned throughout this week, like none of that happens without dozens upon dozens upon dozens of amazing people, many of whom you've maybe never even seen, who give of their time and their resources, who are loving the people of this neighborhood, of this city, of this country by giving back. And, and not just to give back, I think that as we serve, as we step out, that's actually, that's actually one of the main ways that God grows us, that he matures us. And we have the contribute party every single week right in the lobby. We've made it even easier. In fact, you can take out your phone right now if you want to. You just text the word contribute to the number 313131 and that'll send you a form. You can fill out that form and somebody will get back to you this week. I'm telling you, so often we make excuses. Well, I'm not spiritually mature enough or I don't have enough answers yet. None of us do. But stepping out Taking a step in here, being a part of what God is doing through this community is one of the very best things you can do, but, but not just in here. I want to encourage you to take a step out there. Yes, we believe that to be a family means that we together are serving together. We're not just recipients together, but that we join in. But I know also that there are plenty of us, there's maybe someone in your life. You're convinced God put them in your life for a reason, but you've not said a word Maybe there's a dream that God has planted in your heart and you're feeling it right now even as I'm talking about it. Maybe it's someone that you know you need to invite to join you here and you've just not done it because you'd rather stay comfortable. I want to challenge you this week, take a step out there. Because I believe that when we take a step, it doesn't mean that the fear goes away, but that we, we join in in the greatest adventure we ever could imagine. Because here's the thing, fear robs us of the adventure that God has for us. It robs us. And all fear is, is a liar running out of breath. That's what fear is. A liar that you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, you don't have the chops. Fear is a liar that's running out of breath. And God invites us to put fear over there and take one more step. One more step. 
even and especially when it's unclear. Made me think of um, a story from my family a few years ago. Uh, we took my dad skydiving as a surprise birthday gift. Like we blindfolded him and then we pulled up to the place and took his blindfold off and he was like, I hate you. <laughs> and we did a, like a little bit of a, a quick training and then we like loaded into the smallest plane I've ever seen in my life, by the way, which you think would feel more safe. It does not. It's terrifying. And so, uh, so I go up and I'm, I'm wearing my Superman outfit because I asked if I could and the guy said, why not? It doesn't matter. And I was like, not exactly what I wanted to hear from the guy I'll be jumping out of a plane with. And um, so I approach the plane and I'm going tandem because I've never jumped before and there's just a, an enormous Serbian man sitting in the plane and I walk to the door and he sort of like pats his lap. He's like, have a seat. And I'm like, I don't like what this is. I don't like any of this. I'm so uncomfortable. So we're going up and it's all rickety and we're bouncing all over the place. There's another guy that's jumping by himself for the first time. So they open the door and a gust of wind comes in and the plane goes all crazy. The guy starts to bail. Like he's hanging about to drop and he starts shaking his head no and the instructor just simply does this. He goes, and pushes him out of the plane. That's the guy that jumps right before me. I'm like, I'm out. I'm not interested in any of this anymore. And as this all is happening, the giant Serbian man that I'm strapped to then puts his mouth right next to my ear and goes, just relax. I was feeling a lot of things in that moment. Relaxed is not one of them. So we like inch towards the opening of this plane. And um, it's, it's even scarier than I ever could have imagined. But I, I know what has to happen there. And he goes, okay, on the count of three. One, two, and we don't get to three. Because he just pushed both of us out of the plane. And this was the result. The... <laughs> Now, for those of you in the back, I don't know if you can tell the expression on my face, so I've zoomed it in for you. Um, <laughs> terror. <laughs> Absolute terror. But then we eventually kind of, we pull the cord, right? And the parachute comes out and the instructor did not tell me that there's like a readjustment phase in the harness. So after we've been gliding for a while, he adjusts something unbeknownst to me. I fall about a foot in my harness and I start screaming like a child. <laughs> and he's having a blast. And so he's behind me just going <laughs> as we slowly glide to the earth. But when I landed... The first words that I said to him and my family was, let's do that again. I'm telling you, the same guy that was full of terror just a couple of minutes prior was like, let's do that again. And I think our faith journey is similar to that. That so often we'll inch to the door, we'll look at people that came before us and we'll have all these legitimate reasons not to move forward. We'll be filled with real legitimate fear. But when we actually step out, when we're willing to say, God, I don't know where this is going, but I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be willing that we'll again and again and again say to each other, let's do that again. Let's do that again. I, I never thought that I would be a pastor. I never thought that I'd be doing any of this. And I can't tell you what a, what a joy it is to do this thing that I never in a trillion years ever would have thought that I'd do. But stepping out, putting one foot in front of the next has filled me with more times to say, let's do that again than I can count. I think that's the life that God wants for us. When we step out, we don't 
go alone. God is with us. He is with us through thick and thin. And when Jesus was resurrected and he was ascending to heaven, before he ascended, he told the disciples, I want you to wait. I want you to pray. I want you to be a people of prayer. I'm going to send my spirit eventually. And you're going to do not just the same stuff that I did. You're going to do even greater things. And so they obeyed and they gathered and they prayed. And then the Holy Spirit in this incredible act fell upon all of them. And, and here's what happened. They saw what seemed to be tongues of, what's the word? Fire. Fire. Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. The same fire in that burning bush that talked to Moses that led the Israelites out of slavery is the fire of God that resides on each of us. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you right here and now. Not once you get your life together, not once you get a better degree, not once you can cross all your T's and dot all your I's. He's with you now and he's asking us, will you trust me? Will you step out in faith? And I'm, I'm convinced of it. That if we feed our hope, fear begins to starve to death. Feed your hope and fear begins to starve to death. Because God has an adventure in store for all of us if we would just simply step out in faith. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that you are with us. That you are near and close and present in ways I don't think I really even understand. And God, regardless of whatever kind of day or week or month or year some of us are having, whether we're on the mountaintop or we're deep in the valley, God, would you speak life into us and help us to put one foot in front of the next, to take a step in here, take a step out there. Fear, anxiety, and all, God, would you remind us that when I want to say I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, you say I am. And the only I am that you, you invite us into is to say, I am a child of God. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us and pursuing us and inviting us not just to obedience, but to an adventure way beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. We thank you, God, and we love you. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.